0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. In this show, we discuss topical foreign policy issues. I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries who discuss their life and career, often with digressions about historic foreign policy events in which their life and career intersected. And we cover often overlooked issues in global affairs. If you want to learn more, visit GlobalDispatchesPodcast.com. And now on with the show. So I will admit that I was a bit skeptical when my guest today told me that every person on the planet in any 24-hour period is somehow impacted by the work of the United Nations and other international entities in Geneva. My guest, Michael Moeller, would be in a position to know. He is the Director General of the UN offices in Geneva, which makes him a very senior UN official. And I must say, he was convincing. As the Director General explains, the mundane routines of life, everything from brushing my teeth in the morning to calling my grandmother in Montreal, is touched by the work done in Geneva." You know, I've been reporting on the United Nations for many years now, over a decade, and I will admit that this is not a perspective on the UN's work that I fully appreciated until this conversation with Michael Mueller. I will be seeing Michael Moeller in Stockholm next week, where he will be delivering a keynote address to the New Shape Forum. This is a conference and ideas festival convened by the Global Challenges Foundation. And this episode is presented in partnership with the Global Challenges Foundation, whose aim is to contribute to reducing the main global problems and risks that threaten humanity. Last year, the Global Challenges Foundation held an open call to find new models of global cooperation better capable of handling the most pressing global risks. In May this year, in the New Shape Forum in Stockholm, the top proposals will be presented publicly and further refined through discussions with key thought leaders and experts. I'll be a part of those discussions. We kick off this conversation discussing what Michael Moeller is looking forward to most from the New Shape Forum, and he also previews some of his remarks that he'll be delivering at that keynote address. So if you are in Stockholm in what is Memorial Weekend here in the United States, please come say hi. I'll see you there. And now here is my conversation with Director General of the United Nations office in Geneva, Michael Moeller. join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four launching in june global health matters is available on apple podcasts spotify and youtube
1: well i'm very curious to see what uh, several hundred or a thousand people have come up uh, in terms of uh, suggestions for how we're going to improve on global governance um, I'm very curious, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of the solutions that uh, that have been solicited or provided. Um, I'm going to speak um, about that, about governance, about uh, what the past was, what the future, the, the present is, and what the future should look like in terms of my uh, views on that, and in terms of what the UN's role in this future configuration is. Um, highlighting um, uh, the successes of uh, the structures that we've we've had until now, acknowledging that they are inadequate um, for what we need, um, certainly now, but also even more so for what we need in the future. That the world is changing at a very rapid pace, and we need to change our structures with it in uh, in terms of being uh, so that we are able to um, deliver on the needs and on the requests that the. Uh, our fellow citizens across the across the world uh, are asking for a need, and their governments are mandating us as the international community and the international structures to deliver on. Um, there's the need for, I mean, the, the challenges are so big and so uh, impactful and existential um, that we need to look at uh, very different ways of working. Uh, we need to um, put partnership at the front and center of how we, Um, we deliver in the future, we need to be more collaborative, more integrated, um, and we need to be much more um, attuned to the fact that many of the, uh, both the problems, but also the solutions that we have, and we have many, um, are interrelated, intertwined, and that uh, they cannot be looked at in, in isolation.
0: Are there any um, examples of how what you do at the UN office in Geneva might provide a model for global governance issues more broadly to tackle these kind of profound global challenges that the conference, the New Shape Forum, is, is seeking to tackle?
1: Yes, um, there is in a sense. Uh, you have to understand that Geneva and what we usually call international Geneva is a quite extraordinary ecosystem. Um, that has no um, parallel anywhere else. It's the city on on the planet that has the greatest amount of actors that touch and work and deliver on the greatest amount of issues that affect the greatest amount of people on this planet. Um, In a a, a very short sentence, um, although it sounds like boasting, but it's a fact that uh, there's not a single person on the planet, all 7.3 billion of us, that not touched one way or the other every day by something that emanates from geneva and that is, and this is the operational hub of the international system not just the UN. Um, a lot of actors are here um, most of them technical actors that uh, have the wherewithal and the mandates to deliver on um, on, on all of these uh, these needs and uh, particularly using the sustainable development goals and i'll come back to that a bit later um but therein lies also the answer to your question Uh, the the goals the sustainable development goals that have been approved by member states uh two and a half years ago are have given us in a way that i think most people who signed that document didn't realize um a global roadmap Uh, the, the the this roadmap is being appropriated by an incredible incredibly uh, large amounts of people and stakeholders, not just UN organizations or governments, but also business community, uh, NGO community, civil society, academics, etc., uh, to an extent that I have never seen before, and that is in itself sparking um, a realization and a a readiness also that I haven't seen before um, that um, to work much better together to break down silos to be much more integrated in approaches to create new partnerships uh, to come up with uh, new solutions to some of the big problems we're facing and to use uh, tools that are being uh, that have been developed by others and uh, you know accept best practices integrate them in people's work Um, it's a very new it's almost an existential change if you want certainly a mindset change amongst uh, many organizations and even many governments, all of which um, have been uh, working in silos for the past 70 years at least, if not more. Those silos are beginning to break down, and uh, there are plenty of examples of it here in, uh, in Geneva. One very specific example I can give you is that uh, uh, we've created, in, o- in order to facilitate this and to, 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 to push this development um, and to encourage it, uh, we've created in my office something called the SDG-LAD, which is a resource center for actors and for stakeholders and for everybody who um, has anything to do with the implementation of these goals um, to help them um, get information on what's happening uh, everywhere, particularly get information about best practices. It's a unit that connects people um, uh, to for, to discuss on how they can work together on these issues usually connecting people that have never talked to each other before and very often didn't even know of each other's existence until we put them together. Uh, Be a laboratory, an innovation lab for new ideas. We are pushing people outside their comfort zone, pushing them to think in different ways and look at all of these actors around them in different ways. And it's becoming a very dynamic um, and and result-oriented and result-producing little unit that um, is quickly becoming um, yeah, the victim of its own success because the demand on it is, is growing every day. Mm-hmm. And the demand comes from governments, it comes from uh, multinationals, it comes from NGOs, it comes from individuals, it comes from uh, academic institutions, it comes from everybody who uh, the common search for solutions.
0: Well, I mean, that's interesting because, you know, the perception of the united nations is one of hierarchical like risk averse uh not sort of uh, sort of a vertical uh bureaucracy yes, so what you're correct. saying here is that this this sort of lab within this historic building the palais of nations is uh is is sort of is doing things a little differently and that might be a, a good model for how we can tackle some of these broader global challenges
1: well it's not only the lab actually and uh, there's a mindset change I'll give you a little anecdote. Uh, Last year, a staff member came to see me and said, we've just realized that the senior most uh, officers in over 30 UN organizations based in Geneva um, were getting together and still are, by the way, um, once a week uh, to discuss how they could leverage uh, each other's individual expertise into a much greater collective implementation of these goals. Um, I've worked in the UN for Almost forty years now. I've never seen that. happen. It was something nobody asked them to do. They do it on their private time in the evening in somebody's home, and they're still getting together to discuss how they can uh, how they can deliver on what people need in a better way. Uh, and uh, the 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 and we are now looking at and we are working on a number of uh, issues and 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 uh, and um, projects that are beginning to prove that the impact of collective approach. And the integrated, coordinated approach among many actors on a particular program or a particular country are yielding absolutely extraordinary results way beyond what the system was doing before when it worked in silos.
0: So you said something earlier that I'd love to press you on and, and challenge you on. You said that uh, in any 24 hour period, every individual on the planet is touched or affected in some way by the work that's done in <laughs> Geneva. So, so let's break this down. Here I am talking to you in Colorado. You're in Geneva. My yeah. daily work is, you know, I, I put out this podcast. I have a website. Um, I, I take my kids to school. I, you know, eat dinner. Yep. how how is my how is this conversation uh, besides the well, fact that you're of course the, one because yeah
1: <laughs> yeah let me give you some very simple examples please
0: please do yeah um, how is my podcast okay. affected by geneva other
1: than the fact that i'm interviewing no, the I, head I, I, of the I, office I, of geneva I, I, i'll yeah. give you some ideas about how you personally is affected because that's the whole point how yeah. is every individual on the planet what is the relevance and the impact of what the international system does on his and her lives every day, because once we get an understanding of that, an individual can really grasp the importance of it. That also means that they will understand the need for supporting it, for making sure that it uh, that it's strengthened, that it continues to provide the well-being and the peace uh, and the rights um, uh, that they require in their daily lives to have a, a meaningful life. So you wake up in the morning, and um, you go into the bathroom and brush your teeth. The the amount of chemicals in your toothpaste is a norm that has been set by a group of member states and industry uh, executives in the building I work in a long time ago and has been accepted as a global norm by all, by all countries.
0: What, what what entity is that one?
1: It's uh, uh, one that is called the Economic Commission for Europe. It's a bit of a misnomer, but it's an entity that is setting uh, together with other organizations like ISO – um, the International Standards Organization, a whole series of um, of uh, norms and uh, and rules for how we on the planet makes life easier for everybody. And I can give you, I'll give you other examples. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so, so it's good. My my toothpaste in the morning does not poison me because of no, standards does. set by uh, in Geneva. And 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 what's next?
1: Exactly. Then you go and get dressed. The price of the clothes you're wearing is the end product. Of a value chain that, that, that started with negotiations at the world trade organization based in geneva then you take your kid and um, um if they're very young you put them uh, in, a, in a in a toddlers car seat in the back of your car
0: i do they are young
1: okay and you do that in the in the uh, in the trust and knowledge that they're going to be safe in it uh, as you drive through uh, heavy traffic and if first uh, something happens nothing will happen to them because they are in this baby seat the norms for that baby seat are being have been set again in the building i'm sitting in talking to you
0: well which entity
1: that's again the same the economic commission for europe ah, is a, it's okay. one of these organizations nobody's ever heard of uh really but uh, in fact is doing some quite extraordinary work um, and many of the norms that they're setting and that they're agreeing to um, in a process that involves governments, UN officials, and industry um, uh, members uh, to agree on, uh, to, to, to set these norms for, for many of the things that we do. Um, so uh, so you, you, you drive off. Have you ever thought why um, the street signs that you see when you drive are the same all over the world? I have not. Well, they are. And that is something that was decided not even in the U.N., but uh, way back in the League of Nations time, also in this building, uh, by a group of member states who decided that this was a way that uh, collectively that uh, this was the way that uh, street signs were going to look, making life easier for everybody and making sure that when you are in another country, you, uh, you, you know where to go and how to get there. Um, the brake pads on your car, the size, the strength um, is also a standard that is set here. Um, so I can go on. Uh, then I'm, I'm, suddenly, yeah. uh, Let me just take one more example. Sure, sure. Your cell phone, your cell phone rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that cell phone wouldn't be working if it wasn't for at least four, if not more organizations in this town, um, that have that that made it possible for it to actually end up end up in your pocket.
0: Um,
1: which well, so like, there, like
0: for example, like which are those organizations? And, well the, and, inter- and international telecom- the International
1: Telecommunications Union is the one. Uh, that sets uh, dialing uh, codes for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, the United States is 001, Switzerland is 0041, et cetera. This is something that's set globally by one organization, that is one of our UN family organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, The ILO sets the standards for the workers that are working on the phone.
0: That's the International Labor Organization, yeah.
1: The International Labor Organization. The World Health Organization is following very carefully um, if there are any uh, health hazards of uh, using uh, cell phones um, and, and uh, you know also uh, the World Trade Organization looks at how uh, some of the products that go into a phone and in some cases come from um, uh, stressed areas like Congo and others um, how this is being extracted and how uh, if there's child labor involved, if there's uh, you know, all of these kinds of things
0: well, um, so yeah, well, well, director General. Trouble. well, you have, you have, uh, convinced me of what I thought was an <laughs> audacious claim that everyone everywhere in the world is, is, is affected by, uh, by, by events in, in Geneva. Um, I, I and, and I know actually that, um, part of, of your role as director general of this office is to help convince people and and tell people of this. And, and that's part of a, a broader yes. initiative that you've launched, uh, that's changing the, the perception of, Geneva uh, and and the rules and the UN entities in Geneva are around the world.
1: Yeah, I think it's important. It was important when I came into this job. I realized that uh, all this extraordinary richness of action that was happening in this town, this ecosystem that was really delivering amazingly on the well-being of people everywhere, was completely unknown to most most people. Mainly, to to a large extent, because we have not been very good at telling the story. But also because many of the things that I have just mentioned to you are things that we all take for granted. Or certainly those of us who live in uh, in developed countries, um, and we don't think about who, why it's like that, and why we just it's just something that we take for granted and that we expect. But the fact is that um, you know after the Second World War, the world gave itself an international structure, with the UN at its heart. Uh, but it's not just the UN; it's a lot of partners as well that has delivered a level of well-being and peace um, unparalleled in human history. The human race today has never been better off. And it's something that I like to remind people of because we tend to forget it when we read our newspapers every morning or listen to the, to the radio or the TV. Um, and uh, we have never been healthier. We never live, live longer. We live longer than ever before. We are better educated. Uh, we, are better, uh, we travel more. Every, practically every human indicator you care to look at, uh, we are much better off than we've ever been.
0: Um, So I wanted to ask you about another aspect of your work. In addition to running the UN office in Geneva and and all the the roles and responsibilities there, you are also the secretary general of the Conference on Disarmament. Yeah. Can you explain what that is, what that means, what the Conference on Disarmament does? I think some listeners will be familiar, but for those who who are not, can you just give a a brief overview of, of your role there?
1: Yes, I'm the Secretary General of it. Um, This is more of a sort of formal uh, protocol role, Um, but it's it's a little bit more than that. But let me just mention that the CD, the Conference on Disarmament, uh, was set up to be the primary negotiating entity for all disarmament issues for the world. Um, And this is where quite a number of treaties have been negotiated, uh, at least in the past. It has a glorious past, not a particularly glorious present.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, what's it interesting is. to me. Yeah. So, so, so it was started, what, in like the 70s? Is, is that right? Yes.
1: I, I don't remember the exact date mm-hmm. right now, but yes, in the 70s. It was a product of the Cold War, um, and it was created precisely to uh, give the world a way to negotiate these issues um, in a neutral place, which is here. Uh, it's not universal. It has like 65 members, which is a bit of an anomaly today. Um, but it did some good work on chemical weapons and uh, all sorts of other weapons. Uh, it's one of the areas where nuclear disarmament has been discussed for many years and uh, all this sort of uh, attendant and uh, connected issues um, With um, as we can see not particularly great success so far and especially now at this day, day and age We're seeing a refurbishing of nuclear arsenals by quite a lot of countries um, including your own mm-hmm. uh, so but um so for D- the, don't hold me the responsible part, for that one i'm not <laughs> for the past 22 years um this conference has been blocked and has you know not uh, it continues to work it discusses etc but it hasn't really uh produced any new treaties or any new agreements well can, can you uh, so. describe
0: a, a little bit uh, about the political dynamics that are causing uh this this sort of forum well, the, that was once very vibrant and as you said was the forum for negotiating some big deals like chemical weapons and biological weapons convention is now stale what has yeah. made it stale over time
1: well the fact is that the the nuclear weapons holding states uh, those uh, those states that have nuclear weapons um have not been particularly interested in uh, going into uh, negotiations about uh, doing away with those uh, a lot of work has been done on some of the other um, uh, weapons systems that we've had. I mentioned the chemical one, which was uh, which, which was one. Uh, also on conventional weapons, uh, more conventional weapons. Uh, there's been a number of work done. Uh, so um, on ballistic missiles, on all of this stuff, there was plenty of agreements set, uh, over the past decades. But um, uh, the the issue of there are two things. The issue of uh, of the nucle- nuclear disarmament. Uh, and the fact that uh, those member states who have arms had no intention of disarming, and so therefore they blocked any kind of discussion on these issues um, in one form or the other and the fact that um, it's it 's a sort of a structural uh, problem that has uh, that has emerged, which is that uh, and that the all discussions or rather all decisions have to be taken by consensus. it means that just at this stage consensus has evolved into meaning uh, unanimity which means that just one state can block any kind of agreement, and that happens regularly. So, uh, but that has changed, I am happy to tell you, the past uh, month. Um, It has come out of its hibernation and has taken some decisions and is now now moving ahead on a whole uh, series of discussions and a program of work.
0: Oh, well, I mean, that's interesting. Can you explain, like, what what happened to to take it out of its, its hibernation so recently?
1: I think a couple of things um, and uh, and are an awakening uh, amongst member states that uh, the world had changed dramatically and that there was no longer viable to sit on their hands. Uh, one was certainly what was happening on the Korean peninsula um, and the fact that uh, on the nuclear um, file, a number of countries were changing uh, their posture to uh, include the potential use of nuclear arms, uh, even small tactical ones in uh, situations that were not agreed to before. Um, but more importantly, because we know that uh, reaching agreement on doing away with nuclear weapons is, uh, is, a, is a nice thing to have. It's not something that is, it's something that's going to take some time before we get to that point. I'm sorry to say, but that's a reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is, but the other and more important, I think, realization is that um, the rapid uh, evolution of new technologies is coming at us at the speed of a very rapid train and uh, the world is not prepared to deal with the potential use of of uh, these issues uh, particularly artificial intelligence um, as weapons killer
0: Um, killer robots basically uh,
1: no, no 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 killer robots is one and that has been discussed for a while uh, also called autonomous weapons mm-hmm. uh, that's being discussed i'm talking about artificial intelligence new technologies that are coming at us at the speed and that uh, if left unchecked and uh, if there's no agreement on how we're going to use them as they get as they evolve and how we're going to inject some ethics into how we use them um, we are facing some very serious threats well- some experts tell me that uh, some of these technologies could potentially be more life-threatening to the planet than nuclear weapons and
0: um well, well, is- can, can, yeah. you ex- can you can ta- you explain that a little bit because this this is new to me and it's something i think my audience is not very sort of conversant in like what is that intersection between artificial intelligence and um you know the proliferation of of deadly technologies well no
1: that's a, it's it's just a, an evolution if you want a smarter uh, evolution of some of the deadly, deadly uh, autonomous technologies that we have already Um, We are faced with a situation where technologies that are self-learning and can improve on their um, uh, decision-making are going to be left in charge of uh, who dies and lives on the battlefield. Uh, And that is a situation that is uh, deeply troubling to a lot of people, including me. Um, There has to be a human element in those decisions. Um, There has to be an ethical element in those decisions. And we have to agree on how we're going to use these uh, and under what circumstances. Just like we have with other um, armaments um, ac- across the ages, um, and how we're going to conduct ourselves on uh, on on the battlefield. If if uh, God forbid we walk into another war, um, the Geneva Conventions did that very much uh, for quite a while for us. So uh, it's really um, uh, the I would say the easiest way of explaining it is to ensure. That we get a global agreement on how we maintain human control over some of, <clears throat> over some of these technologies and their use. And
0: um, and these conversations are happening now. Yes, in, they're, they're happening about, absolutely. Yes, in, <clears> throat> they're throat> happening. They're
1: happening um, uh, very inter- interesting ones and very um, very uh, interesting also because we are bringing in uh, other actors, the industry who is producing them. You have to remember that most of these in the, in, uh, these technologies. Are being produced in the private sector with very little oversight, governmental or otherwise. And um, uh, interestingly enough, many of these um, uh, these uh, industries are beginning to realize that they do need to have some uh, agreed upon oversight and governance of uh, what they're they're producing, because otherwise we're going to be in a very serious problem.
0: Well, well, this brings us, I think, squarely back to a conversation about global governance and and looking for new mechanisms and and new structures to deal with these issues.
1: And uh, clearly, uh, as I said before, uh, we have reached a level of uh, well-being <clears throat> that we have never seen before in our, the history of our of our of our race. Um, what we where we are now, in historical terms, is an interesting. Um, Uh, phase, a transitional phase of how we govern our planet that is changing. Uh, For the past several hundred years, uh, we have uh, had a system of uh, uh, state-centric governance where the state was the main actor in the decisions that were taken about how we lived in our daily lives and what kind of services we would get, etc., and our relationship with others. Uh, There is now an evolution where we're moving away from that into a much more uh, polycentric, multi-stakeholder approach to how we take decisions uh, with other actors where the state, of course, will continue to be an actor but not the central one and certainly not the only one. Uh, There are new governance structures that we are beginning to see. One fact, one example would be the demographics that are changing and that means that uh, within the next a couple of decades, um, um, most of us are going to be living in cities, and that means a completely different way of providing services to our citizens, uh, both in terms of education and health and agriculture, you name it, um, with the uh, concomitant uh, rise in the role of mayors in how we run our affairs and the diminution in the role of the centralized state. Maybe also we are looking at the growing importance of regional organizations and regional arrangements. I think the whole, it's very unclear where we're going because we are right between two chairs in my mind where the old system is still there, a little bit on the defensive in certain places. and The new system um, uh, that we're moving towards uh, is not quite defined yet and certainly not legitimized yet. And um, we are living uh, um, that uncertain time of the nonsense that happens when you, you are between two chairs. And um, it's an interesting time with very with massively changing geopolitical movements and the, all the tectonic plates of geopolitics are moving very rapidly. New players on the global scene moving away from a bipolar world to a multipolar world um, with actors that uh, that uh, haven't been there before um, and who are claiming a, a, a place at the At the decision-making table so a very fluid situation very interesting one but also a very uncertain one and in in this fragmented world and this um, fast-moving world uh, which at the same time is facing some extraordinarily uh, difficult existential problems uh, that cannot be solved by any one actor such as climate change or the migration issues or corruption or health issues that are coming at us also uh, more and more um, insistently, with epidemics popping up every now and then, and with increasing frequency. Um, so, what? I, so, the whole issue of coming to grips with how we are going to govern ourselves is gaining increasing urgency because we are uh, we are having the risk of um, uh, of you know we're putting at risk the gains. That we have achieved, particularly over the past 70 years, um, through this uh, inter- extraordinary international solidarity and network that has been created. Uh, so, um, and that would be a pity uh, to put it very mildly. The well being of our citizens is at stake. The well being of our children and their children is at stake. Um, and we need to get back to a value based, rules based management of our planet. And that speaks directly to the way we're going to organize ourselves. Uh,
0: Well, Director General, I I must say it is refreshing to to hear a senior UN official speak in such broad uh, terms uh, and and speak so frankly uh, about some of the challenges we're facing to global governance, to the UN system. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And I, I look forward to seeing you in Stockholm in a few days. My pleasure.
1: See you then. Thank you very much for inviting me in.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Director General and a big thank you to the Global Challenges Foundation for supporting this episode and the show. And I am so looking forward to the new Shape Forum in Stockholm. I'll I'll let you know how it goes. We'll certainly uh, be mining the mines there for uh, future episodes, future interviews. Really looking forward to it. As always, feel free to reach out to me using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com and I'll see you soon. Bye.